0: So we're in week three of our Being Human Again series. And um, if if this is your first Sunday, then you've chosen a good Sunday because we're concluding this series. But we're speaking about just what it means to be human, the way that God designed us. And some of the stuff that we touched on is that there's a specific order to how God created you. And when you function outside of God's order, then there—whom of you remember that word? It starts with a D dissonance, All right, there's a dissonance, a friction, like a vibration, something is just out of harmony, and sometimes you can find your life to be there, where all of the different elements of your life are in play, you are studying, and your studies are going well, or you've got a job, and you like your job, you are in a relationship, and all of the things are nice, but there's just this sense of dissonance, like my life just doesn't feel sorted out, I don't feel like I've hit the sweet spot. Um, and this is where we get into the groove of living a life in submission to God's order or His design for your life. And then that brings order. So we've spoken about feeling. So what does it mean to be a person created to have feeling and emotion? Last week, Sean had a powerful word on connecting, that we are a people called to connect. Do if you enjoy, enjoyed Sean's preach? All right, it was a good word. You can go and um, catch up online at... Online. All right. So if you ever want to know what's happening in church, go to Online. Okay. So that's where you find out what's happening. That's where you get to join some of the social clubs. There's an events tab where you can find out all of the trainings that Bianca also spoke about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and tonight we are speaking about leading again, leading again. Before we continue, I just want to pray for the word. Father, we thank you that we can just come under the authority of your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true and that your word has a defining work in us. It shapes us. It forms us. It molds us, Lord. And we choose to come and submit ourselves tonight under your word. And may your word have its desired effect in our lives throughout tonight and beyond. Amen. 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 Okay, so leading. Now, if you are anything like me, there is something that will irritate you and it's called incompetence. Who of you feel like that sometimes? Okay, who of you have to go to home affairs a lot? Okay, not as much as Marina's, but I have to go as well. Um, And you just, like, there's no way for you to know. Like, if I have a meeting at 10 o'clock, I'm not quickly going to home affairs at 9 and making my meeting at 10. Sometimes you can, but most often you can't because there's just a lot of stuff in the system that doesn't work well. Um, If you go to the grocery store and you want to do a checkout, sometimes you get someone that's super efficient and sometimes you don't. And if you love, I mean, that book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that some people have been reading The one advice that the guy gives you to get out of this rushed, busy life is to go to the shopping mall or the pick and pay spar, find the line that's the longest and choose to stand in that one. Who does that? Why would you do that? It makes zero sense. It's like when you're driving on the N1, you choose to get to the fastest lane, the quickest, because otherwise you get stuck behind that truck. And then you are that guy that sits behind the truck and everyone else is now coming past. And you're stuck. It just doesn't work. So in, in my makeup, and I don't know if it's the same for you, but when things don't work the way they're supposed to, it irritates me. Like there's a sense of friction, a sense of dissonance that I sit with, like this is supposed to be better. Now, there are other things that happen around us as well that has the same effect, and some of it might not be as, as, um, as tedious as just your grocery person taking long to um, scan all of your groceries. Some of it might be injustices. Some of it might be stuff that you see around you that's really not right. Um, yesterday coming from Checkers, there by Castlegate, yeah, Checkers. Um, There's always one or two ladies with their children that's standing on the street corner that's begging. Um, That's always there, whether it's their own children or whether it's children for rent, because you can do that as well. I don't know. Um, But that's not right. Um, When you see stuff happening around you, I know that you guys have got a, a, a kitten that you're looking to find a home for. There's stuff that really just gets into our hearts, and we're like, God, this is just not right. And these things stir up certain emotions and thoughts and feelings and behaviors in our lives that it's either angry, we become sad, become frustrated, we're sometimes moved towards doing something, or we're just very passive. But we have this sense inside of us that the world is supposed to be better. Anyone like that? Or are you happy with the world as it is? Um, I read a book recently where it said that the the 18 to 35-year-olds, which is all of us, um, I'm still 35, yeah. So the 18 to 35-year-olds, we, (laughs) we don't want to give our lives to something that will have no impact. Whom of you would love to live a life that has zero influence in the world you live in? Go and do a job, and the only thing you'll get from that job is a paycheck. That's it. That's the rest of your life, just to live for a paycheck. So we don't want to live for something that won't make the world look different. Um, And it spreads beyond belief system, like beyond being a Christian. So you see this in atheism as as well, where there's a lot of philanthropy happening, because we want to make the world better. We want the world to be a better place. Now, where does this intrinsic desire to see the world be better come from? Obviously the word of God, but you guys knew that. So Genesis 1, 26, 28, and this is the passage we've been touching on over the past two Sundays and we'll elaborate from here tonight. Genesis 1, 26, 28 says, then God said, okay, so again, who says? Who's the defining voice? You guys know the answer? On three, one, two, three. God. Okay, so again, this is a very important place in Scripture in Genesis 1, all right? It's cool how um, the Bible is set up in a way that right in the beginning of the story, you can already find out who's the main character. It's not you. (laughs) It's God. In the beginning, God. And then, God said. So the defining voice over creation is God. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So you and I were created in the image of God with the sole purpose to be co-creators, co-stewards of God's creation. In essence, God says, I'm creating the earth, I'm blessing you, and then I'm giving you a job to do. So before you've done anything, God has already expressed a blessing. God blessed them, and then he says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over creation. So there's this order that is put in place that God is the ruler, we are subject to him, and creation is subject to humankind. We are designed by God to rule over the earth, to be stewards of God's creation. We're doing a great job. Okay, So what went wrong, obviously? Point number one, we surrendered our God-given dominion or rule. We surrendered the rulership that God entrusted to us. And again, it didn't take us long. Genesis 3. So there's this character that enters into the story, and it says, The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So who is at fault? I'm just saying. The woman said to the serpent, We're going to get to the rest of the story. Don't worry, ladies. Okay. Spoiler alert is the men. So what we see in God's original story is that God ordained a certain order, that God is the order over all of creation. Then he creates creation, but he creates mankind in his image. So we're the only part of creation formed and fashioned after the image of God in his likeness. And then God gives us a special task to rule and to reign over creation, So now in Genesis 3, we see where the serpent enters into the story, and the moment Eve started to listen to the voice of the serpent, with, but did God really say? Did God really say? And then she gives him a response and says, No, 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 you won't die. You'll just become like God. You'll become all wise, you'll be able to know everything. You can become a God yourself. You don't need to live under the rulership of another. You can live under your own rulership. You don't have to be subject to God. You can be a God yourself. And the moment that narrative in the storyline changed, we saw the change in the whole arc of history in the Bible story. Everything changed from that moment. Obviously, Adam was not innocent. He He was an innocent bystander. Whom of you... Seeing Adelia, not, not even talking to a snake, being close to a snake would just stand there and say, Okay, if it's a spider, I will, I will, read, I will let Ried deal with it. <clears throat> so there's this giving over of dominion. Now we might look at this story and, and think, Sure, all of that for an apple. <laughs> they don't know it's an apple, okay? was just nowhere does the Bible tell us it's an apple. All of that for a fruit. But if we reflect on our own lives, I think often we, we exchange the rulership of God over our lives for much less. I've once read the story of Judas um, betraying Jesus for 50, 30 pieces of silver, which equated to a year's worth of salary. I've rejected Jesus or abandoned Jesus or forsaken Jesus for much less than a year's worth of salary. Sometimes it was just for a good night out. So we stand in this story and we give in to this temptation, but did God really say, do you really have to live life under God's order, or is there maybe a different way that can work for you as well? And the moment we disposition ourselves from that order, we step out of God's original design into a dissonance, and then we now live in a a dysfunctional state of dominion and rule. And now sin has become the, captive, the capturer of our hearts, and we become its willing participants and slaves. We are slaves to sin, as the Bible teaches us. So now you are still created in the image of God. That didn't change. You didn't change into something else. You are still created in the image of God with this sense of purpose and destiny over your life. There is still this um, inherent thing to want to rule over your life. But now from a sinful nature, we will live out this dominion, this rule for our own benefit. And if it's to my own benefit to step away and be passive and not get involved in what is wrong in the world, then I will do that. If it's to my own benefit that I gain from this... And I can become a recipient of good or wealth or riches or whatever, then I'll exercise my dominion over other people. Do we see that often in society? And I think, I just want to take some water. And I think we sometimes pendulum between both as it suits us. When the cost is too great for me to get involved, I'll stand aside. it's too much. (laughs) What's broken in the world is just too great. It's no point in even doing something. It's not my monkey. It's not my problem. Not my circus, right? Oh, but if I can gain something from this, maybe in my workplace, if there's a promotion to be gained, okay, (laughs) I'll participate. What do you need me to do? Because we place ourselves now at the center. And that's what sin does. It continually places ourselves in the center. And while we live in this dysfunctional state of rule and dominion that doesn't make the world better, that doesn't affect change, that doesn't advance the kingdom of God, but in fact it destroys God's creation and ultimately also one another. It destroys relationships, it destroys people. Praise be to God that there is a a better way. Point number two, Christ restores humanity's rightful reign. Christ restores humanity's rightful reign. So we were in this place of brokenness, but God made a redemptive plan. And in Revelation 5, verse 1 to 10, I'm going to read for us. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. So John is taken up into heaven and he sees this picture and he sees this scroll and he asks, okay, but who is worthy to open the scroll? And then no one is worthy to open the scroll and there's this weeping, this weeping, this weeping. And when we look at the world we live in, when you sometimes look at your own life, you can find your place, yourself in a place of weeping where we've given over control. We've, given, we've surrendered our rightful reign as God's creation and we're in this state of brokenness. And there's no way for us to almost escape this state of brokenness. In our own lives, in the world we live in, you try to affect change in one area of society and then five other things fall apart and you can't just get to a place where like it's just too much. It's just too much. What's the point even? What's the point of trying to live a life that makes the world better? What's the point of trying to pursue a career that betters the world I live in or those that live in it with me? Maybe I should just find a, um, what's that word? A job you can do online. What do you call that? Huh? Now whatever you call it. But you can work from anywhere in the world. Maybe you should just find a job you can do from anywhere, have this passive income, and go and live on an island. Maybe that is the dream. Because the world doesn't seem to get better. This week when they um, announced load shedding starting again over the weekend, I was really miffed. Um, I was like and stage four, come on. I mean, that's three times a day sometimes for us. I really don't like load shedding. <laughs> and it's like you get overwhelmed by the state of the world we live in. And, and I, wanna, I wanna allow you just to extend your horizons beyond South Africa. The fuel price is expensive everywhere. Um, yes, we have a struggling economy and joblessness and all of these things that adds to the equation. But the whole globe, like globally, things are just not seeming to get better. Uh, And it's almost like we're getting to a space like, okay, Jesus, you need to come back now. We've we've called it. We had a meeting. And we decided 2022 is a good year for Jesus to come back. Um, If you want to get married before Jesus comes back, okay? (laughs) We'll see if he waits till, when is it? September, October. (laughs) But that's not the end of Revelation 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. And they sang a new song. They started off with weeping. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So obviously the book of Revelation gives us the end picture. Whom of you um, love watching a sports match with your favorite rugby team or soccer team knowing that they've won, okay? It's like, yeah, it's easy to watch that game. I know what the end result is. Even if we're losing, like there was way back 2005, Liverpool played Champions League final against AC Milan and Liverpool were trailing 3-0, time. Some of their fans left Um, and Liverpool came back and they won that final. Um, Now, it's easy to watch that game afterwards and your team is losing 3-0. I'm not stressed. I know what's happening in the end, right? We know what's happening in the end. We know what's happening in the end. The lamb that was slain is worthy to open the scroll. If there was no one worthy to open the scroll, then all of your life now would be futile and pointless. But because there was one who conquered death, sin, the grave, rose up, seated alongside the Father in the heavenly places, there is hope. You see, all of creation falls into four story themes. The first one is creation, where everything is as it is supposed to be, Act 1, that didn't last long. Act 2 was the fall of man, where we willfully participated with sin. Act 3 is redemption. That's where we are living right now, God's faithful pursuit of your life for eternity's sake. Some of you are born again because you have responded to God's pursuit of your heart, some of you are sitting here tonight and you still need to respond to God's faithful pursuit of your heart. And he's thinking about you for eternity's sake. He's taking hold of your heart for eternity's sake. He's working in your life for eternity's sake. There is so much more at stake than just what we're facing in Act 3. Because there's a glorious Act 4. And that's the final restoration where everything will be put as it is supposed to be. In Act 3, we cannot fix our eyes on Act 3. You will be overwhelmed. You will get disheartened. You will be discouraged. We look towards Act 4. There is a glorious reign of our King, and He has given us the end picture. And He says everything will be placed right, and it will not be destroyed again by sin, by brokenness, by sickness, by death, by sorrow. Everything will be perfect. So we live in this in-between space between act three and four. And he says, weep no more. Now this, it sounds easier, than, easier said than done, right? Like if everything in your life is going great, it's easy to say, yeah, glorious, act four. But when you're in the middle of a storm, it's not so easy to sing that hallelujah that Andre was forcing us to sing. And he made us sing it, eh? Sing louder, sing louder. It's like, okay. <laughs> I want to give us something tonight that I really believe if you will grab hold of God's truth over your life, it'll set you apart to live a different life in the waiting. In the waiting. It'll set you apart so that you don't have to succumb to every wind of doctrine. It'll set you apart so that you don't have to fall down every time something happens in your life. That you don't have to become over emotional when things don't work out the way you want them to work out because it's not about Act 3. We have to fix our eyes on eternity because that is what God is busy working in your life. A lot of the stuff that you are currently frustrated with in your life is because you are holding on to Act 3. But God is busy preparing you for eternity. And some of the stuff that you want to hold on to, He doesn't want in your eternity. So your fight is not against flesh and blood or people or your work or your colleague or your friend or your neighbor's dog's cat. Your fight is spiritual because God is setting you up for an eternity with Him and eternity with him. The fact that Jesus has already conquered, the fact that Jesus is already seated on the throne, means that there is a life that we get to participate in, but there's a way that we get to view history. There's a way that we get to view the storyline. There's a way that you get to view what you are going through right now, in light of Act 4. And unless we participate in this waiting season through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, then we will fall into the selfish space again where we either do things for our own gain or we stand back and we're passive and we do nothing. And that can be very different scenarios. The Revelation five says that the book was opened, and then standing before the throne was a people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. So that's the end picture. So the Bible already gives us the end story to say: one day in heaven, there will be a people from every people group, tribe, language, and tongue represented before the throne of our King, worshiping Him. What is our faith response to that? Matthew 28, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples. Why? Because they will hear. How do you know that? Because the Bible says so in Revelation 5. Revelation 7, it echoes that same theme. Jesus commands us, not, he doesn't suggest, hey, if you have time, make disciples. No, he commands us, go and make disciples. Why? Because they will stand before the throne. You go because they will listen. Listen. You preach the word of God because they will listen. You step out in faith and you are bold because people will respond. That's what the Bible teaches us. I want to end with a portion of scripture in Ephesians 2. And it reads like this. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and... There's two distinct um, themes here where he speaks about the old and the new. And he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Very important. It says, you uh, you used to live in a way when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So there is a ruler over the earth at this present time in Act 3, which is Satan. And his spirit is at work in the world today. And it says that his spirit is at work in the sons of disobedience. So there's a spirit at work in the world today. In your unredeemed state, you cannot but participate with the spirit of disobedience. And that just brings more death and destruction. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the liar, the father of lies, and from him proceeds no truth. In your unredeemed, unsaved state, you cannot but participate with the spirit of disobedience, which just brings forth more death, more destruction, more brokenness. But Jesus conquered death. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we can receive a new life. And now the good news is that you don't have to live under the dominion of the ruler of this earth anymore. The moment you give rulership back in your heart to Christ, Christ is the ruler over your life. And you are not subject to the spirit that is at work in this world. Let me give you a couple of examples. Who of you go to the gym? Okay, who of you should go to the gym? I haven't seen you at the gym in a long time, Tian. Can I share with you something? And maybe this is from a guy's perspective more from a more than from a girl's perspective. I don't know. I don't know how girls work. No one knows. They've written a book. Um. (laughs) There's a spirit of lust when you enter the gym. There's a spirit of lust at work in your gym. And if you just go in and you succumb to that spirit, you will follow the the ways where that spirit wants to take you. You can fall into deeper pornography. You can fall into other types of lusts and fantasies because there's a spirit at work. In the corporate world, there's a spirit at work that is money hungry, power hungry, that does not care about people. And you can step into an environment and you can succumb to the spirit that is at work in that place. There is a spiritual agenda against marriages that should last. And you can step into your own marriage and just succumbing to that spirit that is at work, that has an agenda to steal, kill, and to destroy. You can step into your neighborhood and there's a spirit of selfishness and self-protection, self-preservation, where my neighbor's problem is not my problem. I can just lock my doors and close my windows and put my walls higher. Because there's a spirit of selfishness at work in our neighborhoods. In your friendship circle, there's a spirit of envy and comparison. Social media, it helps us so much. I saw an advert, so stupid. I saw an advert that basically this girl is using skincare products and the whole goal of her skin looking better is she can take better images for social media without using a filter. How dumb is that? That's the pinnacle of life, that you can have unfiltered social media images. So there's this spirit at work that is all about self-preservation or self-exaltation. And you can just succumb to it and see the effects of that in your own well-being, your mental well-being, your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being, but you don't have to. Friends, there is good news for you tonight that you, under the rulership of Jesus Christ, do not need to be a passive bystander of what is happening in the world or just an active giving over to the spirits that are at work in the world today. When the rulership of Christ has been restored in your life, you get to rule and reign with Christ. Ephesians 5 goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Oh, praise Jesus. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. You don't even have to save yourself. You don't even have to make yourself come alive. He does it. It is by grace you have been saved as God raised up Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You are above this world in Christ Jesus. You have been raised with Christ, seated alongside him in the heavenly realms. That is a different perspective. You get to view into act four while your feet are planted in act three are designed by God, fashioned in His likeness. God ordained it that you should rule and reign with Him. Unless we participate with that from a redeemed state where you are born again and you've surrendered control of your life over to Jesus, first placing Him as the ruler over your life again, you will continue to rule and, um, and, and reign from, an un, from a broken state. And it'll be about you, either to protect yourself or to promote yourself. And friends, that is tiring. If you have to continually try and protect yourself or exalt exalt yourself to make yourself better or to gain from everything around you. But when you have been redeemed and Christ has been restored as the ruler over your life, there is a ruling, a reigning with Christ that belongs to you. And guess what? You get to influence change. Where? Where has God placed you? In light of Act 4, you get to bring hope in your marriage. You've got two beautiful children that's growing up in a world that is very much broken, but they don't have to be without hope. Because you get to raise them up to have hope. In your workplace, you get to lead and change and influence and show people a better way that doesn't mean you go to your workplace and you now just start preaching the gospel and whipping out your bible at every opportunity no friends there is a character of christ that we get to portray to those around us you get to be a person that speaks the truth in love you don't have to participate with all the lies and the blame shifting and like what we see in the garden of eden when god asked them, hey who told you you could eat it was the serpent it was the wife it was this god it was you you gave me this woman We don't have to participate in all of that because God sets us up to rule and to reign with Him. And friends, when you lead yourself, and this is where it starts, when you lead yourself into the presence of God and you allow the voice of God to be the definitive voice over your life, you will step into your authority effortless by His grace. God said, let us make man. But you need to lead yourself into the presence of God so that God can be the defining voice over your identity. No one can read your Bible for you. No one can worship Jesus on your behalf. No one can buy out the time so that you go and sit at the feet of Jesus to get to know him so that he can speak into your life and let him be the defining authority over your life. How do you know that Jesus is the defining authority? You obey him. You obey Him, even if you don't agree. Even if it doesn't make sense, you obey Him, because He is God. And that sets you up to walk in your God-given purpose. God has destined you to reign with Him. And may the world really look better. May your neighborhood look better. May your friendship circles look better. Where does it start? Jesus says in Mark 1, verse 16, 17, he says, Come, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And if you would like to be walking in your leadership call that's on your life? Because you have one. The Bible said so. God has destined you to rule and to reign with him. And if you would love to act in your leadership call that God has for your life? It starts with being a disciple of Jesus. God isn't looking tonight at your charisma, your skill package, your gifts, your talents, your past accolades. It's like when um, I grew up in a very small town called Douglas, and um, you played for both the, high school, the, the, the girls and men's the tennis teams, because there just weren't enough kids. Now um, I'm joking, it wasn't that small, but you... You would go to high school. So I went to high school in a much bigger school. And then you almost had to bring your accolades from your past life into this new life to say, I'm not a total screw up. (laughs) I can be a leader here. God doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care what you've done prior to tonight. Are you willing to follow and trust him for the rest of your life? Because then he can shape something from your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to come and first and foremost thank you that you are the Lamb that was slain, and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. You conquered sin and death. Ah oh Lord, you gloriously paid the price for our sin, and you took back what we so foolishly gave away. And we just give you the praise and the glory tonight, Jesus. We thank you that because of you, we can have tremendous hope, even in the midst of a world that is still messed up, in a world that still needs a lot of change. But we can have tremendous hope, Lord, because you've already showed us what the end will look like. Come and pray for us as a church tonight, Lord, and pray specifically for those who are doubting the call of God over their lives. If you know you've responded by either being extremely passive, meaning that you're not really worried about the world around you, you're just worried about yourself. As long as I'm okay, it's okay. God has not called you for that type of life. And as long as you live that type of life, you will have this dissonance, this friction, this false harmony that governs your life. There will not be peace. Maybe you've been exploiting your rule and your reign and you're in a position where you can abuse resources or people so that you get what you want. Again, that's not how God has designed you to live. And tonight you don't need to leave this place succumbing to the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience because by the mercies and the grace of God, you can be redeemed. So if any of those two are you, won't you just repent before God tonight? Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've lived life my own way. I've made myself God. In the same way that the, that the, that the serpent tempted Eve to say, you will not surely die but you will be like God. Lord, we want to come and confess that so easily we want to be God over our own lives. We want to control the narrative, Lord. We want to control the outcome. We don't want to follow you in every area of our life. But tonight we want to choose to put you on your rightful seat that you will rule and reign over our lives And that we will walk in our full authority as sons of God. And may your kingdom then come through our lives as we rule and reign with you. Lord, would you pour out your grace over us? Would you make us bold? Would you stir a faith in our hearts, Lord, that as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we look beyond Act 3 into Act 4, to see that there's this glorious restoration that is awaiting us. Oh, Lord, may it stir us on to to faith and good works. As Ephesians 2 says, Lord, that there are good works that you have already prepared for us to walk in in advance. There's good works in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our relationships, in society, in our communities. There's good works, Lord, that you've already prepared for us to walk in. Amen.